past experiences myself by um, uh, readopting an old ego state um, as well as persona to uh, something that was more adaptable so that I could, um, I guess, function in, in uh, the scenario that I was in. And um, it worked and it helped, yes. but it, it also, um, I, I neglected and ignored all of the underlying issues uh, that were there in the first place. And so everything sort of resurfaced eventually. Yeah. Uh, because I guess I wasn't putting um, enough attention on uh, the growth aspect, you know, like you were saying, going back to those roots and, yes. and uh, sort of replanting mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I think that's where the metaphor of, of the tree is a generally useful one because the suggestion that the tree just knows how to grow on growing in effect gives a suggestion that homeostasis without calling it that is what will bring about therapeutic change. That once the tree, i.e. the person, accepts that self-regulation, then they will just grow through anything and become who they should be, which was inevitable all along. There's no need to suppress the past or overcome the past or fight. The tree knows how to bend with the wind. It doesn't resist it. It changes with the seasons and its roots run deep and take only what it needs. And that overall suggests adaptation and homeostasis. That's where the power, I think, of metaphor comes in. Uh, but knowing when to use it's important too. Right. So, um, so when that... Um that sort of technique needs to be utilized with a patient. Um, I guess it's, it's important to, to make sure that they uh, don't stay there, that they don't remain sort of infantilized or in, in this uh, yeah. like overly, overly attached or identified with this previous ego state or persona. Oh yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Uh, which right. is why I uh, very often speak out against inner child therapy and there are people who say that they benefited from it, but we both, Paul and I both know of people who have been really badly damaged by the suggestion that they become children again, in effect, yeah. uh, particularly if they've been abused because they, they lose all their power, they become victims once more, and the complex then that's formed around the imago of the abuser starts to gain power on the inside, and the abuse takes on a different form. They get re-traumatized through the memory of it, um, which very often these idiot therapists turn that thing into a real sub-personality yeah. a reified dissociation yes and all you're doing is feeding the bloody yeah. thing you know yeah. instead of dealing with it yeah um so i have issues within a child therapy for that reason you can't we can't be children again we have to grow um acknowledge the wound for sure but like the tree that heals itself we have to grow on growing right uh, that's such an important thing and I guess it's also it's also when um, when the only I guess more well adapted ego state that they had was in childhood. I guess it would be better to to like maybe utilize one that's that's older if they have it. Um, yes. yes, if if they, if they do, if you have to, uh, and this is this is the art of therapy in the sense that is the assessment, the ongoing updated modified assessment based on the interaction with the other person. If you think and if you make that clinical decision that you do have to go back to a childish ego state because that's where their stability was, once you reach it, you must encourage the child to grow with the potential that was latent in them then. Right. And, uh, not, not to grow with the wound, but to bypass it like a knight right. would move on the chessboard, just to jump over it, to move forward. 
and, and to grow. That's, yes. I think, is perfectly valid because you're reaching into the suggestion that the, the genome can heal this. And if the potential that was latent then existed in the genome, it's still there and it will move it forward and you'll be okay, we'll get you past this, you don't have to suffer, you don't have to be fixated. Mm. Uh, complexes are weird things. The more that you, um, you treat them as real people, the more of a problem they become. Oh, you uh, endow them with an autonomy beyond that that they originally had. Um, if you, again, if you treat them with a character, you, and if you have a psychological model like a Jungian one, the, co the complex suddenly has a shadow, the, the complex suddenly has an anima, mm. you know, because these are the constructs that we believe in. If we follow Jung and we believe in that, we create an absolute monster. Yeah. And it, 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 you can't get rid of it. <laughs> it's, it's why we've moved away to some extent yeah. from those concepts, isn't it? Well, whilst, yeah. you know, they yeah. still have currency for us. The minute you start to think of, say, like for women, the animus as, as being some kind of, um, you know, real thing inside a woman's psyche that is brutalizing and murderous and, and, and right. just literally snuff out you know a, a, any kind of psychological well-being in an instant it, it's such a, a dangerous suggestion that really yeah. and 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 if you impose that and then that woman then continues to self-suggest that i mean it's not you know yeah. not heading for a good outcome there so we've not, moved no. away from that for that reason well, haven't well, we? we have because in in the real world mm. the, these things are dangerous when they become turned into real things yes. as such we have to remember that there is a basis to them which is genetic the anima as we experience it is genomic there's no question about that we are born and i believe young was absolutely right with an anticipation, as men, we are born with an expectation of experiencing women, and that that is partly reproductive, it's partly psychosocial, but it's there. Mm -hmm. uh, and some elements of that appear to be inherited as complete images, because some men respond to certain kinds of women and not others on the basis of that image, which is further reducible, if you like, to the notion of a platonic form of the image, which is even further removed from consciousness and much more likely than to be genomic. So we have that. But if you then turn that into a real internal woman, you are creating a terrible problem for yourself. Yes. You really are. Mm. It's that thing which is projected in anticipation onto a woman for the purpose of relating. Mm. That's what a genome wants. It doesn't want you to, to divide on the inside and not relate to an, a real woman because its purpose is to reproduce ultimately. That, that's why we have our genetics. That's why it pushes us to do that and then to adapt in whatever healthy way we can in order to survive. It's not healthy to split on the inside and to generate all these alternative personalities that run around rampant and affect your physiology and then affect your, your, your psychosocial functioning as well. That is completely wrong, in my view. It's dangerous. It's a daft idea. Um, but as an image, yes, of course, these images turn up and we relate to them. But we relate to them as a psychologism, which is the projection of something which is so unconscious, it's genetic. And as it approaches consciousness, it takes on this projected form, which is pushed out. And we experience it in that way. And then there's some kind of resonance between that and, say, women that we meet in the outer world. And to the extent that there is resonance is the extent to which we feel we want to relate mm. to that particular person. And then that's modified through our experience. That then is the complex, the, the anima complex, if you like. 
but the the anima then biologically is going to be based on our ancestral experience of women to some extent but it's, it's broader than just women we have to remember it's what's projected onto them the anima fundamentally is relating and how you work that out is say well if the anima is a real thing where will it operate and where will it not operate it has to operate wherever there is relating and it does if you try to find some aspect of relating where it is absent you probably won't be able to find one. So therefore, it's synonymous with it. Okay, got that now. Uh, this is how I, I worked it out, if you like, in terms of working with real people and seeing where the gaps in Jung's theory, when it gets overgeneralized, are. Mm. It's always present there. And the equivalent in women mm. appears to be the thing that he called the animus. Both of them are based on ancestral experience. Um, just as, as Paul was saying before about the fact that the, the bad boy thing is so deeply ingrained, it is almost certainly genetic and paleolithic yeah. and to do with adapting to the anticipation of some men being that way and uh, of them uh, being able to control resources through their aggression, through their cunning, through their intuition, whatever it might be. And therefore, in, in a competitive environment, that, that might be advantageous. So therefore, they're going to biologically expect some men to be that way. Yeah. Later on, that gets evolved. And then some women will find the more chivalrous medieval knight kind of figure to be more interesting because they are more protective of women, apparently, rather than being exploitative and destructive. But that baseline stone age adaptation is still there mm. as well as the medieval night and yes. so on with and all these other yeah. adaptations that occur mm. yeah. and it's the same with the anima too yeah it has to be right. seen as a last resort really doesn't it? Yeah. it it has obviously has had and still does sometimes have some survival value but yeah. other than that it's a, it's not yeah. what you would choose in an no. adaptive sense no. in terms of a, a relationship to an outer man or woman no no there are men like that. There of are course. men who are that destructive yeah. and, and vile and yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, we all know that. And, and there are destructive women as mm. well who, through their behavior, warrants in a certain sense the projection of all the dark stuff that men have accumulated genetically yeah. since the Stone Age with respect to the expectation of women. But there are also lots of great stuff about women and lots of great stuff about men. Yeah. And then away from the gender, there's also our innate essence as individual human beings. All of that's genetic too, and it unfolds through lifespan developments. Right. Um, I think there's also the, uh, the issue of, um, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, um, of people and patients that just come in off the street who have no idea about these, these yeah. concepts and theories yeah. and stuff. And, and, and what that can do when you uh, try to introduce it to them and, and you know, and depending on what way, um, I feel like it's best to just try to get through to them uh, in their own language, you know, deliver the message uh, in a way that's not harmful, you know, definitely. practical, something practical, yes. more human. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Every time. Yeah. When we, were, when we would work with couples and it was specifically a relationship issue within that relationship, or it may include projections outside of it, as in that uh, recent video that James uh, published um, to do with projecting outside of a relationship, then we would introduce if it was necessary. And it usually mm -hmm. would be to, at some point, uh, Jung's model of the anima and the animus and relating and alchemy and that, that, that was the right 
resolution to do it. But yeah. if someone came in and they were depressed, say, or in, in a high state of anxiety or with OCD or with some psychosomatic issue, it wouldn't be appropriate to discuss that at all. But specifically with that, yes. And the book that we would often encourage people to get would be John Destian's book, Coming Together, Coming Apart, The Union of Opposites and a Love Relationship, which is based very much on uh, the rosarium, the alchemical rosarium. But we would let them know that that was metaphorical. And the process that's, that's put into metaphor in the rosarium is a mirror of a psychological process of transformation through relating. So we'd make it real and something that they could experience rather than it being just all theoretical. Yeah. And I, th I think a, a lot of young men uh, at the moment, and I'm sure you guys who are in that sort of age group at the moment have seen this, are being misled massively on the internet by a selective version of, of Jung's theory um, and the psychologizing of relationship into that form where they become vulnerable paradoxically to women through the concept of the anime. I don't mean vulnerable to decent women, I mean vulnerable to the dark side of the way that some women behave. Uh, and, and the same is true for women as well. Um, right. Through the way that the animus is pushed out there and Jung's ideas are pushed at the moment on the internet. There is this, I think this is what Pauline was yeah. trying to say, this over-amping of, of, uh, of the, the negative dark inner animus which eats away at a woman, which is an awful form of, of suggestion, mm -hmm. which if they internalise that, effectively becomes an autonomous complex yes. backed up by culture to yeah. say that this thing is real. Yeah. And then that, that squares the influence it and it'll, it'll destroy them on the inside and also yeah. prevent them from relating externally properly. Yeah. Yeah. The same dynamic is at work with this notion of the, the negative anima as well. Yeah. But if you yeah. reduce it down and say, look, it's just about relating. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's about your individual, <laughs> your lifespan development. Those two strands will pretty much cure everything. And yeah. that, that sounds awfully simple, but it is. They're the, the two strands, relating and developing. Those two things are right. Most things will self-regulate. It's a personification of it that's the problem, yes. really, which you, you can understand, obviously, psychologically and, and, and uh, socioculturally how that's happened. But, you know, nonetheless, it does reify things and it yeah. does make things more real than they really are. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you talk about, say, John Destian's book. I mean, that's, yes, we have given it out, but it is yeah. a very technical book. It is, yeah. And, um, mm. you know, people have to be up for that don't they and they, they have do. to want to read and they want to have to come in at that level yeah uh, and some couples are, are very ordinary and, and they're not asking for that they don't require it in which case just a simple approach like you say to do with relating yeah uh, and using yeah. that kind of language is, is going to be far more appropriate yeah and just to put that into context, it would be different from um, the kind of counselling relationship and talking about compromise, oh, gosh, yeah. for example. Definitely. They always talk about compromise. Uh, they do. Whereas, to be honest, I, I would get so complexed about that. I would say to yes. people that it's not about uh, compromise because compromise suggests loss. Giving something up. It's about complementarity, yeah. which means giving ah. to one another. Yes. Rather than, you know, you compromise to satisfy me. Mm. I would say let's complement one another. Let's grow together. Yeah. And that goes back to the metaphor of the tree and so on. And, and the fact that if you do grow together, everybody benefits, everything benefits. The system is stable. 
but compromise is an aggressive demand to make on someone. You you compromise to suit me. Yes. Awful. Yes. And when two people are at it, both demanding compromise, you have a broken system. You do. And broken systems can carry on for a long time in a dysregulated state, mm. breaking ever more parts of that system, including somebody's biology yeah. and, well, their, and their social loss. relationships. It suggests loss, it does doesn't suggest it? Loss, a, yeah. a deficit to yourself and the other person yeah. if, if you insist on loss. Yeah. Far better to get to a point where you can value difference. Yes. And, yeah. and see that as being beneficial in and it adds way. to it does add adds, adds to you yeah. as a person yeah. to accommodate somebody else's growth at that point i would definitely suggest to the to people that they begin to appreciate the reality of the unconscious and the fact that it is dynamic um and that they'll find loads of things out about one another that are really mm. interesting that they've never experienced or understood before mm. and how the psyche as a whole between them is regulating even the suffering that they've been going through in order for that to change and to grow so they can pass through winter and into spring again. So mm. to continue the metaphor that I was using earlier, um, that gets it off the surface. And it also prepares people for suggestions, you know, what Jay Haley would call embedded suggestions uh, and making small changes, which then add up incrementally to generating greater change uh, if you do that, you're getting the cooperation of the conjoint psyche of the relationship. Because although it's in conflict, at some point, they, they got on together. Mm -hmm. And that ego state between them, that shared yes. getting on together and mutual attraction and love for one, one yeah. another is still there. It's yes. stored in the rings of the tree. It hasn't gone away. It's just been grown over a little bit by perhaps some unpleasant seasons. You know, of course, the rings are narrow. But if it's nurtured, the rings will expand and the growth will, will, will continue. And I think that's a more healthy way of looking at things because yeah. you're getting them to draw on that, literally like through the roots, draw on what they don't know about one another, but the fact that they did love one another once. Yes. And that that is still there probably behind the scenes. So even where there have been infidelities and, and people have been deeply hurt, to depersonalize that without dehumanizing it, because th this can happen under instinctive pressure and a person has no choice about that sometimes about how they've been pressured. Um, that, that's a more fundamental basis for forgiveness than simply saying, well, you compromise or whatever it is. Yeah. But mm. the, there is a, an element in human nature, which is so impersonal unless you can sink in with that through a naturalistic approach to relationships. So, that would be on a, on a couples or relationship yeah. therapy level, yeah. how we would work and do work. Yeah, yeah. well, John yeah. Deskin himself, who, who wrote Coming Together, Coming Apart, was a, a, a divorce lawyer yeah. before well. he became a young analyst. Oh, jeez. Yes, and, and so he kind of saw what happens to, to couples in the raw, and um, it kind of led him to the conclusion that really you were just seeing another kind of passion, really, the passion that was once in the form of love, you know, turned in, in, into to hate for one another, but, but it's still passion. Yeah, so whichever, it's still passion. Yeah, whichever sign you assign it, nonetheless, it's still passion between those two people. Yeah. And um, you could see how that could be used as fuel for change in a relationship yeah. um, right. and, and be very productive. Yeah, if, if there's grounds within the relationship um, and you'll detect that ground, it is a figure ground thing. The figure of the figures of the couple that stand forward the ground is the background of their life and their context that has produced this this current situation if you can detect that 
wider picture and see if there's, there's room there for them then you see hate isn't the worst thing repulsion is the worst thing uh hate is a negative form of attraction but it's yes, still attraction it is. right it is a form of positive attraction repulsion is the opposite of attraction and if a couple are in a state where they repel one another and that is a visceral and instinctive repulsion there's probably no chance it's probably run its course because their instincts are literally repelling them from one another or one mm. person is repelled now but if, they, if there's still a passionate attachment even if they, it's felt as hate yeah. it's still a form of attraction mm. it's just got a negative sign attached to it in those circumstances so working with relationships you need to look at the figures and you need to look at the background and the connection between the two as a whole picture um indifference i think indifference as well i mean if, yeah. if one if one member of the relationship is indifferent i mean then it truly feels dead at least on one end yeah um mm. yeah yeah that can happen that mm. can happen yeah. yeah you see where a couple might or one member of a couple might say uh, my partner turned off the road yeah, I looked yeah. in the mirror and she, yes. he or she had turned off the road. And then the person who turned off the road is, as you say, indifferent. At that point, that indifference starts to turn into repulsion. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. and then there's no passion there. There's no conjoinity there at all. No shared vision, no growth. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, that is probably on, on its way out at that point, as you say. Yeah. Also, the other right. person will become increasingly under instinctive pressure. Yeah to maybe go elsewhere yes because as you say that person's just turned their back on them and yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's not going with them on the journey so you could see how that person would fall victim to that kind of thing yeah their instincts will try and yeah. push them um you could call that a kind of shit testing and it, it can come from a man to a woman as well as from a woman to a man that you know say in this example the, the man might might uh, indulge in a series of infidelities in order to, to shit test the woman to say well do you really want me or have you actually turned off the road and yes. it's only my money you're <clears throat> here for or whatever yes. and you can see these patterns breaking down and if the woman says no i'm going to fight for this relationship well he'll stop probably at that point and everything will just rush back towards her and then you have to sort out the the fine detail of that yeah. but if she's just indifferent as you say then he, he'll probably just just carry on his journey without her. Right. For example. Yeah. Well, thank you a lot. That was big, uh, even for me, to, to look at things as um, complementary rather than uh, compromise. Because I think... Uh, compromise I, is I, yes. I, yeah, I tend to do that even, you know, in my own personal life, to look look at things often as, as a compromise or a, a loss of uh, something, you know. Yeah. Yes. You lose something of yourself the moment you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Some people, when they get personally insulted in, in a relationship issue, they, they see that something's happened that's diminished them. So there's, a, there's a, a sense of loss in that sense. And then to ask that person to further compromise is to add insults to that injury uh, and to being diminished even further. So the, build, the building up of complementarity is a positive thing, a positive suggestion, even if that suggestion only tests out the psyche of, of the the couple involved to see whether they they're in resonance with that idea or the the rejecting of it or only one of them is accepting it and then it's like well will the other one come on board with that or how is it going to go and it can get very complicated 
Thank you for watching this episode of Young to Live By. If you haven't already, make sure you download our free PDF for integrating your shadow. It includes the most advanced theory on the topic available anywhere on the internet, as well as a full practical breakdown. If you've ever wanted to integrate your shadow, this is honestly the way to do it. Thanks again for watching and take care.